Hey guys, so glad you're joining us this weekend. Uh, I'm Dan, one of the pastors here at Grace Church, the Norton Campus. Love the fact you're hanging out with us. Uh, if I've never met you, love to hear from you. Love to know that you're watching. Uh, if you live in the area, we'd love to see you. Come join us uh, some Sunday. We have four different service times, 8, 9.30, 11, 5.30. This week we have seven baptisms, seven people publicly identifying with Jesus. Why don't you come hang out with us, celebrate with us together in that time. You can go onto our website, check out all the different things going on. We have some exciting things this summer, uh, exciting things with our Through All, For All initiative. I invite you to go check that out, but I love the fact you're joining us today. Today, I want to begin a brand new conversation with you, and that brand new conversation we're calling The Spirit Is. Uh, in John, if you have a Bible, go to the book of John, chapter 14. Here's what it says. Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you, is what he says. And I love, love the fact that he says that. Uh, he lives with you, he'll be in you. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who we're talking about, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then chapter over, chapter 16, skip over 15 where we were at last week. He says, truly I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. Imagine Jesus saying that. It's good for you, I'm going away. Why? Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, will not come. But if I go, I'll send him. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. God, I pray that you would make this topic, Holy Spirit, come alive, not just in our minds, in our hearts, in our experience, in our church. I pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Brand new conversation this weekend on the Holy Spirit. Call it the Spirit Is. Uh, I heard a guy tell a story. Uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not. just heard it online this week uh, about a Native American elder tribesman that came down out of the mountains and saw for the very first time the Pacific Ocean. He was overwhelmed, mesmerized by the size of it. He was so overwhelmed that he got in. He was splashing around, just enjoying. It's like unbelievable. I'd never seen it before. And he so wanted the tribe's people, the, the people of his tribe, his Native American tribe, to experience this, to see it, to taste it, to feel it. What he had felt, that he brought a ceramic jar into the Pacific Ocean with him. And he filled that jar with the, the, some water from the Pacific Ocean. And then he made the trek back up the mountain. And he presented to them the ceramic jar of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> you, you already know, like there is no way what was in that jar was going to be able to capture what he experienced, what he saw, what he felt in the Pacific Ocean. I feel like today I'm going to come to you with a, a little ceramic jar of all that the Holy Spirit is, all that he says, all that he does, all the scriptures teach about him. And I'm going to present my measly little ceramic jar with the hopes that it'll create a thirst in you to splash the rest of your life in the ocean of all that he is, all that he says, 
all that he does. I hope you'll continue to check out uh, our sermons online. We're going to be talking basically about the Holy Spirit from now through August. And so I hope you'll check that out, but I hope you'll explore it for yourself as well. If I sat you down and asked you to tell me about God the Father, many of you would have no problem. Things come to your mind, right? Things maybe you learn. If I ask you to talk to me about God the Son, Jesus, many of you would have no problem. You know facts about Jesus. Maybe you could tell me some things about Jesus. Easter and Christmas would come to mind. But if I sat you down and I said, tell me about God the Holy Spirit, my guess is that our conversations would be all over the place. In fact, some of you, just the fact that we're going to be talking about this, you're nervous because you're like, I don't know, we're going to talk about that weird stuff, that mysterious stuff. And the reason you think that is because some of you have experienced or seen on TV some weird stuff. Uh, There are extremes when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit. And some of you have seen those extremes and you're nervous. Like, are we going to talk about this? Uh, One extreme is what I would call the sensational side of things, the experiential side of things. Uh, and many, some of you grew up in churches like this. I don't know. Maybe you experienced the slaying in the spirit, the laughing in the spirit, the speaking in tongues, strange phenomenon, all attributed to the Holy Spirit, or, or even better yet, uh, sometimes referred to as the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, and you've had those experiences. I remember some of my first experiences where I experienced that. I was with some friends who were in a spirit-filled church. And I remember the first time I ever saw people rolling around in the aisles, speaking in other tongues, right? And, and that can be quite a phenomenon. Many times, these churches have a preoccupation with the Holy Spirit, and what they chase is an experience of the Holy Spirit. They chase this experience as a proof that they have the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, many times at the expense of the Word of God. And so some of you are like, I don't know, is that what it is? Because it kind of creeps me out, kind of freaks me out. I don't know that how I feel about that. And, but there's another extreme, and some of you grew up in these stories where it's all informational. Uh, what you know about the Holy Spirit, and, and I would say that's extreme cessationist. Those are those who are nervous because you believe, and maybe you grew up in a church like this, that the signs of the Holy Spirit have totally ceased altogether, And so for you, the Holy Spirit is reduced to a doctrinal statement. You can bullet point what you believe about the Holy Spirit. Maybe even you know the Nicene Creed. You ever hear this? I believe in the Holy Spirit. You would agree. The Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son, the Trinity, is adored, glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And that probably describes some of you. And some of you, you, it's informational. You're skeptical of anything sensational and experiential. And so for you, your entire journey with the Spirit of God is cerebral. It's all informational. It's a doctrinal statement. And my guess is there's a whole bunch of us. <laughs> and a whole bunch of us that say, man, that, that whole Holy Spirit stuff is just too weird. It's too mysterious. It's too divisive. It was just easier to ignore the whole topic. I love, there's an author who wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and I love his title. He called it The Forgotten God. Francis Chan's his name. It's a book worth reading. Uh, Forgotten God. It's like he's the God, he's the God that gets ignored. He's the part of the Trinity that it's easy for us to overlook. Forgotten God. 
uh, we were talking about what to name this series, and one of our pastors, Pastor Adam, said, why don't we name it Who Dat? <laughs> because some of you are like, Who Dat? Who is that? And for some people, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. And that's not the Trinity, right? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that the biggest threats to the big C church, right, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ in our country, is not liberal ideologies. Those are a threat. Uh, they're not liberal or secular philosophies. Sure, those are things that would be contrary to God's word. It's not the cultural hot topic issues that we need to talk about. But I think one of the biggest threats to the big C church is our lack of understanding of who God is, namely for our purposes for the next several weeks, God the Holy Spirit. What's interesting to me is I heard somebody make a quote of this study that was done post-COVID that there is this thing in churches, this phenomenon called the great sort. People are kind of moving around and they're choosing churches not based on theology, but based on ideology. I want to go to a church that agrees with my ideology. Now, a whole different sermon is, I'm not sure we can separate the two, but, but they're going to a church that's like, man, this is where I stand politically, ideologically, and so I'm going to choose my church based on that. In the middle of that environment, George Barna says this. Listen to this. Nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church, 60%, over 50%, say there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence. Listen to what he said. Most church-going Christians don't line up with what the Bible says, with what God says, what God said he's doing in and through the Holy Spirit. Maybe, just maybe, that's why many Christians are living anemic, fear-filled lives that do not look any different than their unsaved friends. Maybe, just maybe, that's the very reason churches are struggling to be a transformative agent in their communities and a distinct beacon of hope in our world. I want to launch from three foundational truths about the Holy Spirit that were in John 14 and 16. I want to state them, and then I'm going to do an introduction and an overview. You're going to leave this talk and say, is there more? And I'm like, yes. Pastor Aiden and I are going to take this series for the next two weeks and flesh it out. Next, It's going to be a three-week series. And then for the summer, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. This is an overview, an introduction. But I'm launching from these three basic understandings of the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is a person. In John 14, Jesus refers to him as he, personal pronoun. When you read the scriptures, you see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. Romans 8 is the mind of the Spirit. He has feelings, Ephesians 4. You and I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12. He can be lied to. He can be resisted. He can be blasphemed. He can be insulted, and he can be obeyed. The Holy Spirit is not some just force and energy and idea. He is a person. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus called him another and when he used that word another advocate, that word another is just like the first. That the Holy Spirit is another just like Jesus. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying that he is God. He did not back away. Jesus never backed away from claiming to be God himself. And he's saying, I'm sending another just like me. The Holy Spirit has all the qualities of God. He's all-knowing, Isaiah 40. He's all-present, Psalm 139. And that when you get to, we're going to do seven of these this week, the baptism passage in Matthew 28, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and what's the third one? In the name of the Holy Spirit. He's a person, and he is God, and he is called the Advocate. What in the world does that mean? Well, he is our ultimate friend. That, that term was coined by Tim Keller. He's our ultimate friend, that he is our paraclete. That word literally is two words smashed together. He's the friend who comes alongside. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's the one who's our counselor. He's the one who argues for us, and he's even to argue, willing to argue with us if it's beneficial to us. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God, and he's our ultimate friend. Now buckle up. Go ahead and buckle up. If you're watching this with somebody, look at him and say, buckle up, because I want to introduce you to the person of the Holy Spirit of God who Jesus promised would be our ultimate friend. And I want to begin with this question. Why in the world, Dan, are you, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we talk about the Holy Spirit? Let me give you this big idea. It's so important because the Holy Spirit is vital to the story and in the story of God. He plays a vital part from page one to the final page of God's story found in the Bible. Now, a little while ago, we did this series called Long Story Short, where we took a look at the story of God, and we kind of drew an arc, and we said, literally, it goes from creation, and then we see man turn their back on God and the curse, and then we see the covenant period where God makes the covenant with Abraham, with David, with the nation of Israel, and we see this all pointing to Christ, and we see this culminate at the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then he ascends, and then the church is born, and this is all going to come to the point where he makes everything new. And the Holy Spirit shows up in the entire arc of God's story. Right away on page one of God's story, we see the Holy Spirit of God. Right away, here's what it says. In the beginning, you know it, God created the what? Heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the, say it out loud, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The very creation of God, the Holy Spirit, is present. The Holy Spirit did not begin in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit did not come when Jesus exited the scene. He is God. He is eternal. And he is present at the creation story. That Hebrew word is the word baruch, which literally means breath or wind. The Spirit of God. The very breath of God. The very wind of God. If you're taking notes, I'd write it this way. The Holy Spirit cre created order and beauty out of the chaos and emptiness in the very beginning. He's creator. He is the creator. The very creation of God points to the bigness of God. The very creation of God points to the beauty of God. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that is there forming, 
ordering, designing, and fitting creation together in a way that when we look at it, it declares the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God. Just listen, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. I double dog dare you to turn off all your media, all your social media several times this week. I double dog dare you to do it and go out underneath the stars at night or hike to a quiet place where you can watch the sunset or head to a waterfall or go to your favorite spot and gaze upon the beauty of creation and allow it to declare the glory of God to your heart. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings order and chaos. That's why in Genesis 1.26 it says, let us make mankind in our own image. Who in the world's us? He's speaking of this incredible, profound, powerful reality of the Trinity, that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then it says in Genesis 2.7 that that God breathed into men, right? They breathed into man the very breath of life, and man became a living being. What a powerful picture. Holy Spirit's present at creation. He brings beauty. He brings order to the chaos and the emptiness. You know the story. Mankind's placed in the center of God's creative genius, and he's granted the freedom to enjoy all there is to enjoy except for that one tree. It doesn't take long in the story to see that man tries to make sense of his life apart from God. Like, I'm going to do this my own way, right? And he listens to the serpent who comes and says, man, God's holding out on you, which, by the way, is the great temptation of our heart, that somehow God's holding out and somehow I can make sense of my life apart from God. And all of a sudden, when he makes that decision, the redemptive engine of God Almighty goes into full gear. You read the story of God and the arc of God's story. God chooses a man that would become a people that would be his representatives in the world to point this world trying to make sense of life without him back to God. And when you read the Old Testament, here's what you find. You find the Holy Spirit showing up all over the place. The Holy Spirit empowered ordinary people in the Old Testament to accomplish the extraordinary purposes of God. You see it all over the place, the Holy Spirit giving these incredible, extraordinary gifts to ordinary people. Joseph, who was sold into slavery in Egypt, forgotten, in prison, wrongly accused. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, begins to have these dreams. And someone points him to Joseph, who God's Spirit had given the unbelievable, extraordinary ability to interpret dreams. And he brings Joseph before him to interpret this dream that saves a nation and that raises Joseph to the second most powerful man in Egypt. You go a little further in God's story and you see Moses leading the Israelites through the wilderness and God instructing him on how to build the tabernacle, the very place where the presence of God would be, uh, would, would be represented where they would worship God. 
And it says that in Exodus chapter 31, that he filled with the spirit of the Lord a man whose name was Bezalel. And he filled him with wisdom and understanding and knowledge so that he had all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver. That he actually, the Spirit of God, gave this guy unusual talent and skill to be able to accomplish what was accomplished. In Nehemiah 9, we realize that the Spirit of God is the one who guided the Israelites through the wilderness. We see in the book of Judges, the Spirit of God coming upon judges like Samson, giving them extraordinary power to accomplish things. Namely, the delivery of God's people when their own sin led them into captivity and oppression. All through the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God. He's not just a New Testament character. We see the Spirit of God showing up, I would say, in extraordinary and very unique ways in the Old Testament. The only way we know about all those stories, the only way, is because of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You guessed it. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the who? Holy Spirit. You got it. I would write this down if you're taking notes, that it is the Holy Spirit who authored the Bible. How did he do that? By moving men of God, these prophets, to write the very words of God. I ask you a question. Who wrote the Bible? Some of you are saying, well, Moses, right? Paul and Peter and David. And to an extent, you would be right. But ultimately, the author of the, whole, uh, of the Holy Scriptures is the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying. It was the Holy Spirit who was moving these guys along. He's using their style, their personality, their stories to write exactly what God wanted written. I heard a guy use this illustration. How do he do that? It'd be kind of like a, a, a baby that's just learning to walk. You ever see a baby just learning to walk? And it's like, you know? And, and if you had them walk along a stage, like that'd be dangerous, right? They could fall right off the stage. And so what would you do if you wanted them to walk along the stage or walk along a sidewalk and you would grab their hand and you would lead them and they're walking, but you're the one who is leading them so that they're going exactly where you want them to go. In a sense, I'm sure every illustration breaks down, the Holy Spirit led these guys as they wrote, as they used their style, their story, their experiences As they did that, he walked with them. He led them to write the very words of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, All scripture is God-breathed. That's interesting. When you first read of the Holy Spirit, we hear this rauk, which is wind and breath. This word is, this is in Greek now, this word literally has in it the word God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit is all through this. Now here's the deal. When you break from the Old Testament, you have 400 years of silence and you get to the New Testament, we are introduced to the life of Jesus. And sometimes we don't think about the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And yet, what's interesting, and we're going to see, that the Holy Spirit initiated and anointed the life and ministry of Jesus while he was here on the earth. Do you know that? It's like interesting to me. He initiated it and anointed it. 
Jesus, the very Christmas story, the virgin birth, was something the Holy Spirit was part of. The angel came to Mary and said, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. We talk about this at Christmas time, right? You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. She said, how will this be? I am a virgin. She is saying, how will this be? I've never had a sexual union with a man, is what she's saying. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. How important is the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus? Vital to our understanding of the virgin birth of Jesus. Mary conceives this child without ever having sexual union. How did that happen? Holy Spirit. Think about that. Next year when you put your Christmas decorations out, when you put your Christmas decorations out, how often does the Holy Spirit get a place on your mantelpiece? <laughs> he ought to. He is vital to the very virgin birth, the very, the very doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus. How about Jesus' baptism? Remember that story? Jesus was baptized and he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here's one of the passages where you have all three of the Trinity present. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's a picture of the anointing of Jesus as the Messiah. It's this validation. I was uh, reading, why in the world did the Holy Spirit come uh, like a dove? Well, I read different people wrote different things. And one guy wrote this, like, well, a dove was a symbol of peace. And I think that works, right? Symbol of peace. And yet, I found it fascinating that a dove also was a sacrificial animal for the people who were poor in their culture. What a picture! The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit landing on the one who would be the sacrifice for bankrupt sinners. And he is also the only one who can bring peace with God and an internal peace of God. Isn't that crazy? Like, I love the picture. How about in Jesus' very ministry? It says this. Jesus one day went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He, on that Sabbath, went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He like the Spirit of God is the one who's anointing me. The Spirit of God is the very one who has anointed, initiated the ministry of Jesus from birth to baptism to his life to his death, resurrection, all anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Just stop for a minute. Just, just, just Maybe this is a different sermon. Huh? And ask yourself a question before we go further. If God in the flesh 
needed the Holy Spirit to do his work in and through him. I wonder why sometimes we think we don't. The Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to leave you. Remember he said to his disciples, I'm going to leave you. And he said to them, he had the audacity to say, it's better for you that I leave because I'll send the Holy Spirit. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And you'll do greater things than these because the Holy Spirit is literally going to multi- it's like going to multiply because he's going to be in you and, and gonna take, you're going to take him with you. And he's saying this, I want you to take this message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I want you to turn the world upside down with the message of the gospel. And that sounds like a Bible story to us, but don't forget the ragtag bunch of guys that he had following him. James and John, the sons of thunder, who were looking for cabinet seats in his kingdom. But they weren't it. Man, the rest of the disciples were frustrated that these guys wanted those seats. And so they were fighting with each other. Thomas, who was always asking questions. Matthew and Simon, the zealot, who were on opposite sides of the political aisle. Peter, who denied that he even knew Jesus in front of a little girl. And then all the disciples eventually fled. That's who he's saying this to, this ragtag bunch of guys. And he looks at them and he says this, you will receive power when what? The Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, not just there, but to the ends of the earth. And when you read the book of Acts, what happens in the book of Acts in a span of 30 years can only be explained by a supernatural act of God in and through these ordinary men and women. They go from cowering as a huddle of fear-filled friends to a dynamic, energized by the Spirit of God group of people, igniting the very work of God called the church in the world. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit of God that enters and energizes the church of Jesus Christ to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. These men who denied they belonged to him were now declaring the gospel. These who were afraid are now bold. Those who were scattered now display this unusual unity. There's this radical generosity that turns the world upside down where they go in a span of 30 years to begin this mission to reach Jerusalem and you see it begin to spread to the very uttermost parts of the world. And when you read the New Testament, get a breath here. The rest of the New Testament is letters to the churches and then you get to Revelation which begins with seven letters to different churches. But then the book of Revelation talks about the very rapture of Jesus Christ from his church, the world and Satan being judged forever, God making all things new, and on the very last page of the book of the story of God, we see at the conclusion of John's letter, who? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The invitation of the Spirit. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The very last page of the book of God's story, you see the Holy Spirit is inviting people to come partake of the free gift of grace found in Jesus at the very end of the story. 
from the first page to the very last page of God's story, the Holy Spirit is all over the story of God. Theologian J.I. Packer says this, were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, there would be no faith, there would be no church, there would be no Christianity in the world at all. And I agree, and if, if far be it from me to add to him, but there would be no creation, there would be no scriptures, there'd be none of the stories that we're reading in the Old Testament apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. He is a vital part of God's story from the first page to the very last page. So where does that leave us? Well, he's not only vital to the story of God, but I want you to write this down, and here's where I want to leave you and pick it up next week. The Holy Spirit is essential in our story. Here's the deal. God's story is a story that includes you and me. You and I need to find ourselves in the story of God. And did you know that there are three things? Three things. I want you to write them down. I'm not going to flesh them out. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks doing this. Three things that are impossible without the Holy Spirit. Three things that are impossible without the Holy Spirit. First is this. It is impossible to become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? It is impossible to become a Christian. It is the Holy Spirit of God that opens the heart of a person to receive the good news of Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again to save sinners. One poet um, coined this word. His name was Francis Thompson. It was picked up by C.S. Lewis later. But he called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. I love that. That the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven that he chases and he pursues individuals. Remember what Jesus said about him? That, that the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict, convict you of sin. He's the one who convicts us of our sin, of how far we fall short. He's the one who convicts us of our need of the Savior. He convicts us of righteousness, convincing us that our righteousness... It's not what can achieve salvation. That the only righteousness that can save us is the righteousness that comes from the one who died for us and was judged in our place. He is the only one who can bring order to your chaos, life to your emptiness. He is the only one who can breathe the power of new creation into your life. Think about it. The creator who brought order to chaos is now the one who in the new creation He's the only one who can bring order to the chaos of your life. The one who at the very beginning of the story brought beauty to emptiness is the only one who can introduce beauty into the emptiness of your soul. The very one who was present and breathed into man the breath of life and he became a human being is the only one who can breathe into you new life, into your spiritual deadness to bring about the life that God offers. You know what's really, really interesting? If you're a Christian today, it's not because you grew up in a Christian home. It's not because you went to church from the time you were a kid. It's not a decision of your will, effort. But it is the work of God's Holy Spirit. The holy hound from heaven pursued you. He chased you. He opened your eyes. He opened your heart to see the truth about your sin, to see the truth about the Savior, to see the truth about the good news of the gospel found in Jesus who died for us, was buried and rose again. The hound of heaven pursued you. 
You see, it's impossible to be a Christian, become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. It's his work in our life. He's pursuing some of you right now. You know it. He's pursuing you right now. No message I preach, no matter what kind of music, emotion, inspiration I bring to it, can cause you to become a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit, and he's opening some of your hearts right now to say yes to Jesus. God loves you, and Jesus died for you, and the Holy Spirit is pursuing you. And right now, some of you are in that moment where you can say yes to Jesus right there on your couch, right there in your car, right there at your workspace, wherever you're watching this. Some of you are followers of Christ and you have unsaved friends. Can I encourage you that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts? It's the Holy Spirit who convicts, not you. <laughs> can I implore you that your job is not to convict the world of their sin, your friends of their sin, your family of their sin. When you do, it sounds condemning, not convicting. But can I challenge you this way to begin praying for them? We have this thing around here, we could pray for your three. Would you pray that the Holy Spirit of God would open the eyes of your friends, would open the eyes of your coworkers to the truth about Jesus and the gospel? Would you pray that way that the Holy Spirit would work and that he would use you in their life to demonstrate the goodness, the grace, the beauty that the Holy Spirit brings when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Because here's the deal. It's impossible for you to become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. But there's a second thing. It's impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The only way you and I can follow Jesus, abide with Jesus, and produce the fruit Jesus wants to produce in our life in the life of a true disciple, is to keep in step with the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit. You cannot live the life of a disciple without the Holy Spirit. Read Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about life in the Spirit. We're going to talk about that some in the weeks to come. You can be a decorated Christian. You can be a faithful attender. You can be a good person. But you will never be a true disciple following, abiding, producing the fruit he wants to produce in your life apart from the Holy Spirit. One thing, only the Holy Spirit of God can illuminate the word of God in your life. He is the one who guides us into all truth. Only the Holy Spirit of God does that. The one who inspired the book is the one who illuminates it and brings it to life in our life, in the life of a believer. That is why there are many people, many people in churches even, who will maybe memorize the book of Romans, and yet if, if, if you were honest, if they were honest, you can memorize the book of Romans and still be an absolute jerk. How can that be? You can know stuff about the Bible and still not know Jesus. How can that be? Because it's only the Spirit of God who illuminates the Word of God to elevate the Son of God. And that when that begins to happen, I begin to really read the Bible. I begin to really, really read the Bible. It's only the Spirit of God who illuminates the Word of God. And that elevates the Son of God. And here's what happens. Just like John the Baptist, it becomes less of me and more of him. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Less of me, more of him. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the Spirit of God. We cannot be the church of Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. 
It's impossible. We're called the temple of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 6 says that you and I, our individual bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that. But that Ephesians 2 says the church of Jesus Christ is this corporate dwelling in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Not this building, not a building, but it is the church, the people who have said yes to Jesus. And it is impossible for us to be the church of Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer says something that just wrecked me. I read it this last week. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. The point is this, is that we can gather people, orchestrate really inspiring services and create excitement around projects. We can study metrics and we should. We can study demographics and we oughta. We can learn new methods, and I hope we do, to reach new people. But apart from the Holy Spirit of God showing up and working in us and through us, we will never accomplish the work he wants to do here in this place. That's why one of our initiatives this year is a movement of prayer. I'm reminded of a story about Charles Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. Spurgeon, though, considered himself a man of prayer among a people of prayer. Spurgeon knew that his success was a direct result of the prayers of his congregation. He often told his people, I always give all the glory to God, but I do not forget that he gave me the privilege of ministering to a praying people. Determined to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession, several college students were visiting London when they decided to go hear the famed Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. They arrived at the huge church and a man greeted them and said, Gentlemen, would you like to see the heating plant of this church? It was a hot July day and the young men really weren't that interested in seeing the heating plant, but they didn't want to offend the man who greeted them. So they followed their guide down a stairway. He quietly opened a door and he whispered, This is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people quietly bowed in prayer, seeking God's blessing on the service that would soon begin upstairs. Then softly closing the door, the gentleman introduced himself. He was none other than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It is impossible for us to be the church of Jesus Christ, to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ in the world today apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. What would happen if you began, if you began as a follower of Christ, opening your Bible and say, Spirit of God, teach me, show me, guide me. What would happen if we as a church, as we have a church, began praying, God, would you do in us and through us what we can't do in and through ourselves? Some of you, the hound of heaven is pursuing you. And you know it. You're wrestling with it. You're struggling with it. Trying to maybe run from it. He wants you to know that God loves you and Jesus died for you. And that invitation is open to you. The Spirit of God. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would work in us. Bring salvation to those who right now are wrestling with the gospel. I pray they would open their hearts and their minds to receive the gift of salvation. 
God, I pray for believers that are watching this right now that you would guide us into all truth, that the Spirit of God would illuminate the Word of God to elevate the Son of God, and that there would literally be more of him and less of us. God, I pray, I pray for us as a campus that we would be empowered, filled, in step with the Spirit of God so that you would, so that you would accomplish what you desire to accomplish in and through your church that we could not do on our own. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name.